Hello and welcome to the Second Row Podcast. My name is Park Kelly and as always, don't forget you can find me on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at the Second Row. That is 2ND, not the word second. And this podcast is available on every single podcasting app there is out there. So don't forget to like, follow and subscribe wherever you may be listening. And don't forget to give it a share as well while you're at it. With me this week is Galwegians, Connacht and Ireland international Ruth O'Reilly. Ruth, how are you? How's lockdown life treating you? Good, yeah, I'm not not too bad at all. Um, it's not a whole pile of difference to what I was at pre-lockdown. Um, currently on maternity leave, so that in its own way is um good preparation for lockdown, I guess. <laughs> um, so only with the the exception of not being able to get down and see Granny and Granda and things like that. That's uh, other than that, we're we're just keeping to ourselves and yeah, being kept on our toes. It it must be so tough with the with the young lad not being able to see his family. It it's a different level of stress and pressure for you, and he's not young enough to really understand what's going on. Yeah, I look, you know, he he's he's still only awfully small. He's only seven months old, so you know, he's he's no concept of of people that he should be meeting or, or whatever. So it's not too bad. I think it's more for myself just to have a change of scenery and you know people to to chat to during the day that you you probably will be doing more when you're on leave you know you'd be meeting up with people and heading down home like I say for for prolonged periods of time but you look at we'll 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 hopefully get get doing that before the the summer is over and before I'm back to to normal life in in some shape or form. Speaking of home how does someone from Kerry end up in Galwegians? Um, yeah, just, it, it, it sort of, ha- yeah, rugby brought me to, to Galway initially, or, or rugby certainly was, was the instigator to, to try and get to Galway for, for an awful long time. Um, I spent a number of years trying to get here and, and traveling to, to Galwegians. Um, I started out my rugby in UCC when I, I went to college and the first year I was there, which was, uh, 1999, I was part of the first women's rugby team in, in UCC. Uh, and after my four years in college, um, um, that summer it was, um, I heard tell that Connacht were looking for players. So my intentions were um, when I finished college that I would get a job and I was going to join a Division One team. And I had my sights set on Shannon at the time, actually. Uh, they were a yeah. very um, big name in women's rugby at the time in Ireland. And so that was where I was, was planning to go after I finished college. But uh, that summer, um, I started um, going up to Galway to be part of the Connacht team. They had put the word out, I think, to, to all the provinces that they were looking for players. So I would have been nowhere near putting my hat in the ring for Munster at that point, which I probably was in, in the back of my mind in, in some way, but I don't really remember, to be honest. Um, anyway, so that summer I started uh, training with Connacht don't think I got any game time that season I can't really remember I might have been on a on the bench but um I was training away with with the team and had an absolute blast so when it came to um actually starting the season proper in in September time even though I had done a couple of pre-season trainings with with Shannon I um decided flip it sure I'll go to Weegians I'll go to Galwegians the girls seemed like better crack (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I got a job actually based in Port Leash, so it was much of a muchness traveling from Port Leash to Shannon, you know, to to Limerick versus traveling from Port Leash to Galway. So I figured they were more my kind of people, it seemed. So um, yeah, that's that's how that ha- happened. And then I 
worked in Port Leash and traveled to and from regions for I think maybe two seasons and then I got a job in Athlone so that was a little bit closer um and traveled to and fro, fro for that and then I even got a job back down home in, in Tralee for I think maybe two seasons and traveled up and down now I was a, a little less regular for training those those seasons and then finally managed to to get myself a job in Galway and uh yeah the, that was a lot more uh a lot easier to to get to training then. I I bet Kerry to Galway for mat for training matches. That's mental. Like yeah, I, I have a, a recollection of of waiting at the ferry. I don't know if you know the the ferry from Tarbert to Kalimer. Um, I know. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember, and I think the the rationale in my head it was some Sunday morning, like wicked early. The rationale in my head of taking that route versus the the main road I think it would have been pre-motorway um was at least I'd get you know 20 minutes to half an hour on the ferry where I can rest before getting to Galway and play the match like what was I thinking but anyway yeah I wasn't I wasn't a great uh, a great addition to the squad that time but there you go you were there's no like there's no talk in your head to kind of just go I'll do a season a team nearby no no I'm sticking to Galway well, that's the thing though back then you didn't flit around with clubs you know you 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 had your club and and that was it so unless you know I I finished college so it, it obviously made sense even though UCC would have been a club team as well yeah they, they weren't and also the women's side were maybe division two did we play all Ireland division two I think we did actually you know it it, it it was okay not that it was okay but it was it was quite acceptable to go to a, a club that time so a lot of the UCC girls would have gone to Highfield let's say in Cork um, after we finished college but not before um, and similarly once I had committed to regions even after a short uh, dalliance with Shannon um, that was it you you really wouldn't change unless you know I, yeah you just didn't change you know unless it, it really was impractical not not to play with them and I suppose the thing was there wasn't much rugby in Kerry at the time you know Tralee wouldn't have been a particularly strong club at that time um, they did come up to, to Vision 1 at one stage um, and, and since fell back down. But yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't even cross my mind. Like, it's, it's madness now when I talk about it. Like, what sort of lunatic was I? But yeah, sure, what else would you be doing? It just seems so normal for, like, I was talking to Nicola Friday. And so she, like, she travels, like, cross country for training and things like that. And so would Nicole Fowley. just like, just, oh, it's just normal for me to cross country for a training session. Like, no. That's that's not normal. I I think yeah we we have accepted it as being some some part of normal. Now to be fair, the culture has changed a lot, even quite quickly. I would say in the last three seasons, the culture has changed a lot, and you will see a lot more um, movement of players within clubs. And I I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing. Um, but yeah, I think you certainly have a lot less Egypts waiting at the ferry in Tarbert anyway, trying to get twenty minutes catnap. I think it's more um, where work is and work today, I think, pe- well, up until recently, people's jobs were so intense, you you don't want to add an hour, two and a half, two hours travel for a training session, if you can help it, because the sports science has just improved that recovery time, <laughs> just seems so much more important than people would have realised. Yeah, that's probably what it is, the science. Yeah, no, that's... The science. <laughs> the science. <laughs> yeah, and you know what, maybe maybe players at, at the at the lower levels of the game are still doing that mad stuff but yeah probably the more elite players have got more sense or certainly someone's told them to get more sense yeah i think someone's told them to get more sense i, I know you all this is... 
character never did, so, never did me any harm. <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> like you have a yeah, you captain Galwegians to an All Ireland, and you have a Six Nations medal in your pocket. You know, like still, you seriously no harm. There's no harm. Yeah, a three three All Ireland Cup medals up in the attic, along with the Six Nations medal. Yeah, they they um yeah, it's mad when you think about it. But they look at so. With like with Galwegians, like you said, that's three All Ireland winners medals. Like that, you had a good career with Galwegians. Fifteen years, three All Ireland wins, and a great group of people. Yeah, like and at the, but that makes it sound, you know, like that we were hugely successful. We really weren't for a long time. You know, we were we were there or thereabouts for for an awful long portion of that, and it was only just towards the end of let's say the cycle of players that I would have joined with. The likes of Emer O'Dowd and Nuala Coyne and Sarah Coyne, those sort of players that you know that 2012 Cup win, it was a long, long time coming. And then once we won it once, you know we again in 2014 and again in 2016. So we managed to keep that sort of culture and mindset intact, even though a lot of those original 2012 players moved on and retired and what have you as I say, up until 2012, we were knocking on the door of, of, you know, let's say top four league finishes and shield finals and plate finals and, and cup semifinals and what have you. But, it, you know, it, it took a long time for us to get any good reason to go out for a full week. <laughs> yeah, wait, I'm trying to think. 2016, I think I met you after one of those nights <laughs> on the week you're out. Sorry. <laughs> No, I think you're making me say sorry to you for something else I'd done. So that's a different story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, to be fair, we got our warm up. We won the Paul Flood, which was the Leinster Cup competition. Galwegians used to used to enter that because the Connacht Cup wasn't really all that strong. And at the time, the Provincial Cups were your precursor to the All-Ireland Cup. So we, we were the foreigners that were allowed into that. And we won that one season. So that gave us... Um, an indication of just how crazy it could get if we were to win anything very big and yeah it was just as well we had that training for for 2012. <laughs> but that took effort and dedication for a group to get the club to that point where you're winning leagues and you're winning championships and trophies. You must felt that everything you've put into Galwegians had come to fruition. Oh yeah, absolutely, and and not 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 me. Like you know, it, as I say, the likes of you know Jean Wynn, Emer O'Dowd, Adele Burke, Jackie Conboy, those sort of people that have been there from the very very get go. You know, Stephanie Dowling, Fallen, you know, those sort of players who have been playing in Galwegians for years and years and years, and and hadn't ever managed to get anything major, and then suddenly, or finally, not suddenly, finally, we 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 did manage to 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 really put things together and a lot of it was you know just just pure luck you know having the right players that season all fit and firing and working really really cohesively and well as a squad and having a decent bench or actually maybe not that decent because I do remember <laughs> Wendy Hickey was on uh, was our front row cover and at one point I went down in the match and she came over to me I think I got a bang to the nose so I was pumping blood so she was sticking the tampons up my nose to stop it and she's like you need to just get back up and keep going because there's no way I'm coming on this field <laughs> great sound super um, yeah so it was it was it was you know it was a, 
a long time and a lot of hard work from the coaches as well over, over the seasons. And we were talented. There was a lot of talent in that team when I think back on it now. No, there was a good, and a good squad of people. Uh, I've, over when I was living in Galway, I would bump into you a fair bit in the clubhouse in my, my two seasons as a Galwegian's thirds before I bo- broke my leg. <laughs> Yeah, we 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 ourselves in the thirds were 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 kindred spirits when it came to the clubhouse and post match um debriefing um that that used to go on the clubhouse. Yeah, it's good. But it keeps that's but it's those teams that use the clubhouse like that that keep clubs going. You know, because a lot of men's first teams they're trying to be professional that they don't kind of get that side of it all the time. Yeah, and and I think you can see that even happening now more so with the women's side that there is a little bit less of that you know because more and more of the athletes are are, are training at an elite level and maybe involved in in high performance squads either be it with Connacht or, or or with Ireland and even though they would have been as well back you know 10 years ago as you say the science has progressed so the sort of things that you used to be doing on a Sunday night after your match you don't see players doing quite as much anymore because they need to be recovered and ready to have a good training week again come Monday evening or Tuesday morning, you know. So I think that's that side of it has definitely begun to die down. But it, it's hugely important to the club and to the culture of a team and a side to to, re- to get that opportunity to to bind players together, you know, and, and, and to push each other that, that little bit extra. And that's what really attracted me to Galwegians initially it was that element of of the team working really hard and playing really hard but also having mighty crack whilst doing it and certainly after it was all over definitely I I know Galwegians are trying I've recently got a seconds women's team so I'm sure they're flying the flag that you uh (laughs) I know I think the first do every so often but maybe just not with the regularity of every week like we might have done more end of event more than end of yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. Like, you've had a great time in Galwegians. What was your first Connacht cap like? Because I know you came up training with them before you officially signed for Galwegians or started playing with Galwegians. What was that first cap like and what was the Connacht system like? To be honest, I don't remember my first cap. I couldn't tell you when it was or wh- or who it was against. Probably Ulster. Like I said, th- those first couple of seasons up in in Connacht are all have sort of meshed into one. To be honest, yeah, um, <laughs> I could, I, 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 don't, I don't know, I don't remember when my first cap was. It, I don't think it was that first season that I went up to them. I think it was maybe the following season. Um, at that point, even though it's it's still very much the case, but uh, Galwegians was Connacht really. Um. Now, it, it is less and less that way, but it was more or less the same people that were running the show. It was more or less the same players with a couple of, of extras. Actually, the main extras when I joined first were Dino and Rocky, two girls who used to play with Corinthians. But after Corinthians women's team folded, they went down to UL rather than going to yeah. Norwegians, which was quite the scandal. Apparently, I, I, I was too late to that, so I managed to skirt around it. But they'd come back. <laughs> they came back and played with Connacht those seasons and that was a big you know that was that was big they, these really big players that have been playing with with bows who were you know top top dogs in in the the league as well um but it, it was very amateur setup like I don't know that we were even I want certainly wasn't involved in the background of things I just showed up probably with the days I used to just show up and trained and left again so I, I don't know how it was operated but I don't think it really had much 
connection with the Connacht branch itself. You know, I think we were kind of out on our own. So that that has changed immensely. You know, the the professionalism of the whole setup has has changed immensely, um, because it's become more and more part of the Connacht club and community setup and and all of that. So yeah, back then it it was more or less the the best of the Weegans players, and if even if you weren't that great, if you put your mind to it and, and were committed to it, you probably would have been invo- involved in Connacht as well if you wanted to. And as you said, like it's changed over the years. What are the some of the bigger things that you know that has changed from Connacht when you started and Connacht when you retired? And even today, because you would know through knowing people how it's progressed. So the jerseys have got a heck of a lot smaller. <laughs> But the gear has got is still just as big. Um, yeah. So like we would have been playing in absolute tents. So we would have got the hand me downs. I think of of whatever Connacht squads that were going. And so obviously, in fairness, the, the jerseys have got smaller and smaller every season. That's really the main reason I had to stop playing for Connacht. Couldn't fit into them anymore. Um, <laughs> but we still, still the tracksuits and and everything else are still always swimming on us. Um, because we only get whatever's left over. Um. Yeah, no, things have changed so much, you know, like even the inclusion of an SNC. Although, like I do remember doing conditioning and, and strength work with, with Stephanie, actually Stephanie Dowling. She had done like, I think, a personal training course of some sort. So one season, I remember her in the field there in Merlin, in Merlin Park, in the front of the hospital there. There's a field that's mostly meadow. Uh, we trained in that sometimes, like the crack like that, training in a field that clearly wasn't a pitch. That doesn't really happen anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Usually, they, in fairness, they 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 generally get the sports ground for training. Um, you know, either the boys' club pitch or or, or a proper um pitch. So it, the whole setup has just got much more professional. Um, it's still obviously highly reliant on on volunteers to to keep the show on the road. But um, not the, everything. You know, from the coaching level, and it's just, yeah, it's 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 all. I suppose is, is more of the vein of, of the same that, you know, the, the same trajectory that the men's game has taken. The women are maybe a little bit behind, but are following that same, that same pathway now. Yeah. Like I'm waiting for the Celtic cup for women to just happen because it's the next yeah, logical step absolutely. to increase, to increase the women's game because Ireland are lucky in the sense that we have four ready-made provinces ready to go mm-hmm. into that professionalism and, it's just whenever someone decides to just build it and they will come instead of waiting for the money just yeah. to just do it. And it's an awful shame, actually, for the amount of effort, the time and effort, particularly from the players part and the coaches' point of view, that goes into the Connacht squads and the interprovincial squads in Ireland, for them to only play each other and have a, such a short competition for all that effort, it's it's an awful shame. You know, you, you'd love to see an awful lot more being made of of those setups, you know, to and you get huge dividends from it i think it 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 would reap massive um rewards for the game and for the standard of of playing here in, in ireland as well like you saw a little snippet of it when leinster went over to play harlequins there at christmas yeah like that was anyone looking at that needs to see that that's the future you know you couldn't imagine putting out a railway or galwegian's team against harlequins but you absolutely could see that Leinster were well able to play that premiership team. Similarly, you know, I think that's, I, I don't understand why they haven't looked at that as, as the tier underneath the Irish squad. Clearly, you know, that's something that we're massively lacking the standard of the international side 
isn't comparable to the likes of England and France. So in order to get them that exposure and to get players playing at that level, the league, the All-Ireland League, while it serves a massive purpose and I don't want to see that going anywhere, I think there is a need for something in the middle as well between the two to bridge the clearly the big gap between them. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. It's um, You can see that England have that pretty much a semi-professional professional league and there's Irish players going over there because they're going to get that game time, that much more intense game time that is only there for five games a season mm. with the new Interpro Championship. Yeah. yeah. And like, as you, see, you know, you see an awful lot of players now and that was, it is a, you know, getting involved in the game at a, a younger age, which is fantastic. That is brilliant and that is crucial in in order to, to make sure our skills and standards are, are, are a good enough level. But what often comes with that, with players coming into the game at a, at a younger level and maybe getting into the high performance side of it at a younger age means that often it's, it means that they're sacrificing something else quite major in their lives, either their study or their career, in order to put the time and resources into being the athlete and the elite athlete that they need to be. And if they're not getting enough rewards for that, both financially and also in terms of the standards of games that they're playing, et cetera, et cetera, like why really, why can you can't justify doing that in my, in my opinion? Yeah, no, I, like at best you're going to lose them to the Irish system and at worst you're going to lose them to the game yeah. altogether. And they'll also turn around in 10 years' time and realise, crikey, I have no job to speak of. You, you know, I've only been doing odd jobs here and there to just keep money coming in. And like, it is very, very hard to keep a, a proper job on the go if you're playing international level rugby like and training and recovering at the level that you really need to be it's almost impossible you need to have an extremely sound employer definitely like it always surprises me when especially during the six nations you see the the women's team on instagram and they're at work on a tuesday i'm like wait were you just battered two days ago how are you standing in a lab or sitting in an office with any degree of comfort yeah. <laughs> you know it, it it just baffles my mind completely yeah that that that's definitely one of the hardest parts of and and towards towards the end of my career that that was the biggest struggle for me was to trying to keep the show on the road um you know the the four days of the week that you weren't in camp that and trying to get your full week's work done in the two or three days you had before you were going again and being physically exhausted from it all and in those five years you were playing for Ireland you got your first cap in 2012 do you remember that first cap i know you don't remember your Connell's first cap do you remember that first cap? i do i do i do so what ha- <laughs> i do i think um yeah it was against wales so it, the the that year the first welsh international w- was postponed or called off um or halted in the middle of it was it because the pitch was frozen or the lights went off i can't remember one or other or maybe both of those things happened in ashford anyway the refix of that game i think was when i actually managed to get my cap um I, i'm terrible for remembering stuff like this though i'm really bad um but i yeah i know i do remember the excitement of getting on to the pitch i i think we'd already played two or three fixtures in the tournament and i hadn't got anywhere near getting on the pitch so i i don't remember too much of the the preamble to the actual game itself because i was trying not to get too excited and too caught up because i'd already obviously been disappointed on on two occasions not to 
to get capped. So I think it wasn't until the point that I was standing down at the sideline beside the team manager, Gemma Crowley, with whatever little tickety thing that you have to give to the fourth official um, and running on. I think Jenny Murphy was coming off the bench with me as well. Um, but yeah, I don't remember anything of what happened after that. I think I just ran around like a blue arse fly for 10, 15 minutes or whatever I was at and tried to hit as much as I possibly could. And not, I remember being super nervous not to mess anything up. That was my biggest concern. Just don't mess anything up. You know, you're, you're just, your confidence levels go right, right down when you're thrown into that sort of scenario, even though you know perfectly well what you're doing. And obviously you wouldn't be there if you didn't have some level of skill and ability, but you just, you just revert to like your five-year-old self and you just don't mess it up for everybody else. But yeah, I think that's all I did for 10, 15 minutes. Uh, look, it was nice to get a win on your first match as well. Like 36 nil on that rearranged fixture. It's a, a nice debut to have. There you go. You see, you know, remember better than I do. Obviously, you researched this beforehand. So <laughs> professional. I do try every <laughs> now and again. <laughs> so you had your start and then you won the Six Nations with Ireland a couple of seasons later because you weren't in the squad for the... The year of the Grand Slam. To mention the war. Okay, I will not. <laughs> it's so funny because we were just watching it. I don't know if you noticed it was on RTE two there this evening. It was, yeah. No, I, I wasn't in to watch it, but like I knew it was on. I keep me, I kept me in to watch that match. So it was on here in the background, and I remember. <laughs> I won't even tell you what I was at when it was on live, but anyway, um, I haven't obviously I hadn't watched it since, but even <laughs> I couldn't really watch it. I was in and out of the room watching it. I yeah, that wasn't a great year for me. So yes, I had been capped and played in the previous Six Nations and then got dropped that following Six Nations and was livid um, and felt completely un, that it was completely unjustified and yeah, I was n- really bitter and angry about it um, and I think I took all that bitter and angriness and just trained 20 times harder. Not that I think it did a whole pile for me, but yeah, that was a tough a tough season to watch. And then obviously they went on to win the Grand Slam. Woohoo. <laughs> but in all fairness, you have your own Six Nations Championship yeah, from 2015. Yeah, Grand Slam, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and look, you weren't comparing apples with apples there either because in 2015, not to degrade it in any shape, way or form, it was fantastic. It was a massive achievement. I am super proud of it. I'm super proud of the 23 girls that were part of that with us. But I think what was done in the Grand Slam in, in 2013 was was a far, far bigger feat, really, when, when you consider the history of, of the women's game, particularly here in Ireland. Um, and yeah, we we but there you go. Yeah, no, it was it was fantastic to do it the, the following year and to do it so emphatically you know I think with our, our final performance quite different to that Italian game um, in 2013 where, where they just about eked out the win at 6-3 you know we we finished it out against Scotland and I think I don't know what we tramped them 70 something nil and even got a a walkover scrum try I think I remember being on the pitch that was one of the best feelings ever myself and Ailish and Jill Burke in the front row and we just walked the scrum over the line it was yeah it was a good day that day it was good fun that day <laughs> I, yeah and spent yeah it was, that was a great day i remember seeing the footage come back because i was working for irish rugby tv at the time and their their highlights package i, I was i'd done and 
you were delighted at the end of that. I wouldn't take anything away from one to the other, championship to championship. I know Six Nations is great, but that medal and being able to do it as well as you did on that final day, knowing you had a score to beat, that takes a lot to do mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And but we were lucky that we did know exactly what we needed to beat, you know. And um, but yeah, I don't remember dwelling on that too much. It was I've always been this sort of a player because I wouldn't be the fittest person in the world. I can't think too much in the long term within a, an eighty-minute game. I can only really go in two or three-minute segments. I remember Nula, myself, and Nula when we'd be on a pitch, and she was obviously this fit Nula Nikoin, really fit center. Um, and she just, I'd be dragging myself around the pitch for Weegans. Just one more minute, Ruth. Just give me one more minute. And I think that mantra has actually stayed with me right up until I hung up, will hang up my boots. It was just minute by minute in that game. For me anyway, it was just, okay, what do we need to do in this minute? What, what, what is my job in this minute? Okay, get it done. Move on to the next, move on. Because I can't cope with trying to think, I'm not obviously a marathon runner and never will be. I can't think beyond just getting through this next minute. And it was the same in that Scotland game. Just keep ticking it over and then the rest will look after itself. It was a well-deserved win. I remember I'm always watching the women play. So it was great to see you win and win that match so well. But it was a great squad. You know, it was still a huge number of the same players from the 2013 win with just a peppering of, of some new fresh legs I guess you know to 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 cope with some of the the retirements and uh, and so on um but it was a, a really really good a good team but it, again with the backbone of 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 the, the the players that had been in the 2013 win and the 2014 World Cup the famous World Cup in in Marcusi for, for Ireland as well so you know it, it, it was a great squad and it was Tom Tierney's first first season in and we were all you know very excited and very pumped up for the, the 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 short World Cup cycle that we had bringing the World Cup to, to Ireland. So it was a fantastic start to, to that campaign and to that whole cycle of, of, of preparation. It's a shame we couldn't have kept the, the momentum going. No, and I was going to ask you about that World Cup because I went to every game. It just didn't go Ireland's way. I'll put it that in that in those words. Yeah, it, it it didn't, and and it went horribly, horribly wrong. And even in the lead up to it, you know, for nearly nine months plus, probably even more than that, things were just not right. And I can't, I still to this day, I can't quite put my finger on what the issues were. But yeah, we we absolutely imploded when we when we got to to UCD. And it's it, and again, it's an awful shame because. You know, it was a talented team. There were some hugely talented players there. And I, I don't know how we managed to just get it so badly wrong. But do you feel at all that sometimes it was the mixture of the pressure of being a, a home World Cup and that you weren't 100% happy with where the team were going? Like one, if one, if it was one thing or the other, it would have been okay. But that added pressure for being at home would it added two things. I, I can't speak for the for the collective but uh, personally the the home thing w- was was not an issue if anything that was a bonus you know it, it it meant that we had we didn't have any obstacles to overcome in terms of time difference or travel or you know unfamiliar food any of those big things that can be issues when you're away um and I, I think all of us were very excited about being 
at home and very proud to have it at home. And I think that's why the, the, the poor performance or how badly wrong it went was even more embarrassing, more hurtful. So I no, I don't think I don't think it was it was the home advantage thing, and it, it, that certainly was an advantage, and it should have been an advantage. I don't think that was a a pressure point at all. It certainly wasn't for me. Um, maybe other players would would tell you differently. I think what was a big issue for me was the dynamic within our management structure and how the team governance and fluctuation of players happened. So we were working in an environment where the seven setup was outside of us, but they were a professional team and they clearly had a lot of time and energy and resources being put into them. And it felt like, to me, it felt like those girls were parachuted in to our group whenever it suited other people, when I don't think it was actually the right thing for the team. Yeah, no, I under, I understand completely. Like, I was reading through the article that came out with you, that interview, the week of the final game again, and you are one of the most honest people I've ever met. Um, I mean that as a genuine as a compliment because you don't hold back how you feel, and I think that's a good thing. I think it was one of those good wake up calls that women's rugby needed. Yeah, and like it, it's it's it's. It's so disappointing for me personally looking back on on that whole campaign and the lead up to it and all the issues that we'd had in the lead up to it. And and now with hindsight, like to be honest, I couldn't give a shit. Like my life has moved on so much that I, even now sometimes when I think about it, I'm like, how did that inve- how did that envelop so much of my time and my it was all consuming and rightly so. It was a home World Cup, the first World Cup I was ever in and had been hoping to get into but I did not have any comfort or sense of 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 knowing how this was going to go for me or that I was even going to be involved in this proper until I think mid-July and I know that's that's perfectly normal and exactly how it should be for an athlete you know you shouldn't have any um sense of entitlement or or or, or know for sure that you're going to be part of of anything but I suppose I think that actually was a huge problem for all of the players. No one had any level of comfort. It was it was like all of our confidence was completely eroded because everyone was fair game for getting dropped. Everyone was fair game for having someone else come in and take their place. And that was the sort of culture that was rife at the time in that squad. And it's very, very hard to build any sort of winning mindset based on that. And maybe maybe other players didn't feel that as much as I did because I was clearly a you know a touch and go player. Um, you know, the likes of Ailish Egan, Alison Miller, Nora Stapleton, they were obviously, you know, the, the first names that went on a team sheet. I was obviously further down the pecking order. But I, I just felt so uneasy the whole that whole year, I'd say, in in the run up to to, to the tournament and then it almost felt afterwards when I did that interview and that article came out I, I almost felt like a bit of a coward that I I was only speaking after the fact and sure isn't it all easy for all of us to in hindsight to to say and speak out about the things that were wrong when really I should have been shouting that out about that a year previous but sure then I sure as heck wouldn't have gotten anywhere near that squad 
No, like I, I understand that. And I think anyone in your position would be the same because you just want to represent your country and you want to play games. And by hook or by crook, you, you have to do what you need to do to mm. get that jersey. And sometimes it's keeping quiet when you instinctively maybe don't want to. Mm. Yeah. And that that was that was hard. That was mentally very very hard for for a lot of us. And I know there was a, a number of players that that struggled with with that with what we could see happening around that around us that clearly wasn't good for anyone. Yeah, but since then, like there's been changes in how the women's game's been been run. The women's game and the sevens game have got even more connected. Do you think it's on? are starting to go on a trajectory that you can kind of see it growing in the right way because there's been, I'd say, opportunities missed to really kick on the women's game, to bring it to the next level. Um, And short of professionalism, if we took that thing off the table, and I hate to do it, are the other little building blocks, do you see them kind of being being put in place in the right way? There are some green shoots, I think, but you cannot but be a little bit worried and a little bit troubled about this condition and state of the Irish women's international team at the moment when you see them struggling, well, possibly not even qualifying for the next World Cup and struggling massively in a Six Nations tournament and not having anywhere near enough or any other opportunities outside of the Six Nations in which to grow. And they don't seem to be building any sort of a cohesive squad. And I think this speaks a lot to what I... this I, That's where I feel that some of the same mistakes are being made again and being that the same environment is being created. You know, the, the, the team in, in 20... The Grand Slamming winning team in 2013 and the World Cup winning... Or the World Cup team that traveled to Marcusi and beat New Zealand in 2014 there was very little fluctuation in players between those two squad those two seasons yeah and again but come 2015 this core cohort was there and again anyone in women's rugby circles would have been able to put at least four or five names probably more than that six or seven names down on a team sheet and would be correct in saying that that was the team that would go out on any given weekend for that squad. I don't think you can say the same at the moment for the the international team. And that's a massive problem. If you don't have a nine and 10 combination that you're pretty much convinced is the one that's best and you're working and developing um, that combination consistently over a tournament or over a season, then that makes sense. But we're not seeing that. We're, we're not seeing that. We're not seeing any front row cohesion. You know, we're not seeing, we're not seeing a similar team go out week after week. Yeah, it's, you're not seeing those partnerships being built up. No. And, and, so, and so then you're not seeing any performances. You're not seeing any comfort levels within the players. And that's what worries me a little bit about what we're seeing at the moment. And I feel that that's very similar to what was happening three years ago. Or two years ago. I think as I watched the Six Nations go, that's a really good individual performance by player X and player Y. But where's the kind of the team fluidity? Absolutely. And like, I I think, you know, there is another question about the the talent and standards of the individual players. But I think, you know, pound for pound, player for player, 
they're pretty decent players and there's some great talent there, but they're not able to string together the performances that they should be. And they're certainly not delivering any sort of consistency of performance. And they don't, from speaking with some, some of the players that I still know within that, that setup, I don't think any of them know any of the, you know, the sure, the sure, the sure things in terms of who's going to be on, on the team, with the exception of probably Sene. <laughs> I'd say she's the only one that knows on any given week that she's going to wear a green jersey. The rest of them, but, and that to me seems a bit mad, you know, that this should, you should have a backbone of a team there and it's the other stuff that you're tweaking and that you might be changing depending on who your opposition is but not changing just because the wind's changed. Yeah, no, I, I get you completely. We'll we'll move off the heavy stuff. We'll, we'll go away from the heavy stuff. <laughs> yeah, I was going round about there. Yeah, no, 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 anyway. it's fine. Like, it's, it's great. Just move away from the, the heavy stuff because you're still involved with Galwegians now. Do you, as a player, as a coach? Um, <laughs> to be confirmed exactly what, um, I've taken um, on a role, I think technically it's director of women's rugby, within the club but really what I'm doing is, is trying to manage or help the, the club to uh, execute their strategy their development strategy for for the women's game within the club um so I came on board uh to do that just this this year since since the new year because uh, I had all this free time you know <laughs> um wasn't working so what else would I be doing um so I I did, haven't played a game for Weijin since Oh, I don't know, maybe, probably two two seasons ago. I haven't completely closed the door on playing. We'll see. We'll see what the season might look like this year, or whether there is a season this this yeah. year. Um, I might make a few cameos, but my life has changed. I can't give the commitment a player needs to for a Division One team. So I I certainly wouldn't be, you know, be expecting to be to be playing much. I'd be getting them out of a hole you know, standing in a gap or, or, or doing a Wendy Hickey on it and being on the bench and hoping that no one, <laughs> no one needs to come off at any point. Um, but it, or, or playing with the seconds team, that uh, the seconds team is, is ideally where with the sort of, the sort of rugby and the level of rugby that I, I'd love to be, be playing if, if my body is, is able for it next season. But my main focus, as I say, is, is the strategy. Um, so as part of the revamping of the women's uh, All-Ireland League, the clubs within the league were asked to submit to be included in the league. So it wasn't going to be based on your performance uh, from season to season. So everyone was invited to apply uh, to be part of, of the league. And that application process was quite comprehensive um, and included an awful lot of strategy work to ensure that clubs were looking at the development of their underage structures to ensure that they had sustainability with the likes of a seconds team and you know their pathways from minis through to under 12s under 14s 16s 18s all of that sort of stuff so that's the the piece that I'm I'm trying to help put a little bit of structure around and make sure that all of those different sections of the women's game have what they need in order to flourish from from season to season and if there's any challenges or roadblocks in that to try and help get them moved so that's kind of what I'm trying to do. Brilliant. No, it's uh, good to see that you're using your experience of how you've seen the game go and go, we need this, 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 and this. We need to do this, this, and this. And if you don't keep people with experience in the game, you just lose so much. Yeah, and it's it's it's, it's interesting because I suppose it's, it's only when you start putting that hat on and, you know, all of the things that are, some of the things that I might have complained about as a player, you now realise, okay, it's not so easy when you're actually you know, trying to get this stuff together and 
all of that you know so it's 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 quite enlightening from that point of view and 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 you know it, it it's become hugely um obvious to me that our reliance on volunteerism within the women's game is massive and and throughout all rugby and all sports and particularly amateur sports you know the reliance on that is is, is huge and i think it's actually becoming harder and harder for people to give their time um and energy to to things like this and as the requirements or the needs of of the team and and the game increase it's it's becoming really really difficult to to get the resources in behind them to to really push it along so that that's definitely a challenge that um has become apparent in the last couple of months i i, I get what you mean and over your years who did you enjoy playing with the most like who are you just so grateful to see wearing the same color jersey as you when you went out on the pitch oh like i've ha- i've such good mates and buddies and friends from from the Galwegian side like i i don't think i i could there there's 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 so many you know when you if i could pick my dream team in in the morning you know it would have a sprinkling of you know Sarkini coin carl staunton Emer O'Dowd, Ailish Egan, Claire Malloy, Sophie Spence, like such crack you have on the pitch, you know, and if, uh, yeah, and I'd, I'd need to be scrummaging against B. Hayes because that was always the, the best fun. Um, yeah, I, I've, I've made such great, great friends. It, it was actually, it, it's too hard for me to, <laughs> to think. Um, that's that's fair enough. You, you've already answered half the question. Who did you enjoy playing against the most? You know, like as a someone to scrum against or even a team that you just like, right, this is going to be the good type of battle. Oh, so myself and Ailish Egan and Fee Hayes are super good friends and all play in the front row and would have played with and alongside each other um, in green jerseys, but would have always played against each other in for Leinster, Munster and Connacht. And for Weijans, Belvedere, and and UL, and the three of us, always without fail, would absolutely put everything and the kitchen sink into any scrum that we would have against each other. Uh, but always done in the best of of all. Oh God, like when I think about it, uh, the crack we'd have in scrums, especially if the referee was the other side of the scrum. Oh man, and you'd be acting the absolute blackguard and just going for each other, trying to make mincemeat of the other and knowing so well each other's failings and, you know, weak spots and strengths and just trying to undermine them and get the upper hand and just dogged determination to try and get one over in each other. And it rarely worked out for any of us. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, good times. And you'd do it all again from day one if you could have the chance. I probably wouldn't change a whole pile. No, yeah, I've... I, I, I don't. I don't think I would. Maybe with a little bit of hindsight, I might have changed how I handled some of the the things in that twenty seventeen campaign. But no, I've had a pretty good innings, and I've been I've enjoyed it so much, and I've got such great friends and connections out of it still that are you know the backbone of my day to day life. That it's um yeah wouldn't change much. No, I'm the same. Everything you've done until now has brought you to where you are to this point. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Ruth it's been a pleasure talking to you again it's been too long um, it's a different type of chat Thank for, for once time. apologies if I'm uh, rambling not at all it's great to, it's great to talk and uh, I hope lockdown and everything else goes well and we're back to normal life sooner rather than later 
Oh, yeah. I'm sure the season will kick off come October time again. <laughs> Please, God. <laughs> Hopefully so. Hopefully so. Thanks, Millie. Thank you. Thanks again, Ruth, for coming on. It was a pleasure chatting to you again. It's been too long. And for everyone listening, hit that share button and I'll talk to you again next week with another interview. So until then, stay safe.